More than the clothes we wear, style is about the way we move through the world. On this episode of Beyond Style Matters, I talk with the king of vintage fashion, Cameron Silver. The dashing Cameron Silver, who was born in L.A. and grew up in Beverly Hills, has been passionate about style from an early age and opened his famous Melrose Avenue Decades Emporium in 1992. He traveled the world to find just the right vintage pieces for his celebrity clientele, from Julia Roberts and Lady Gaga to Dita Von Teese and Rihanna styled countless red carpet looks and authored the wonderful coffee table book, Decades, A Century of Fashion, which is a decade-by-decade guide to influential looks of the past century. As we all know, vintage dressing has never been hotter or more important in terms of sustainability. In this throwaway world, it just makes sense to resurrect fabulous old pieces from days gone by and give them new life. And Cameron Silver understands exactly why vintage fashion holds such special allure for all of us these days. Cameron Silver, welcome to this episode of Beyond Style Matters. And uh, you are in your relaxed Colorado mode. You look fabulous. You know, I like being a mountain man. Um, but what I really like is being on your podcast. Since there is no fashion without Judy Becker. <laughs> well, I'm glad I have you on tape saying that. Well, yes. it's not really on tape, but digitally saying that for posterity. Exactly. Cameron, you and I uh, go back quite a ways. Uh, you opened your decades vintage shop on Melrose Avenue back in about 1997. Exactly. So it must have been shortly thereafter that I flew out to LA and interviewed you there for fashion television. And I was just dazzled by the fare that you had in that magnificent shop. I think you showed me a pair of like shares, bell bottoms or something. I mean, you just have the most wonderful, cheerful, fabulous collection. Uh, how did your love affair with vintage first start? Well, I used to go to auctions with my parents because they liked to buy furniture or, you know, just objects for the house. I like to buy gongs. So I would bid at auction. And so somehow I had a collection of gongs at like seven or eight years old. It eventually segued into fashion. I actually wore vintage to my high school prom. And when I graduated college, I was singing German cabaret songs all around the country. You know, it's the type of music that doesn't make you rich or famous, but forces you to play theater engagements in cities like Alamogordo or uh, Orlando for two weeks. And I would thrift looking for men's clothes and eventually found a lot of women's clothes. <laughs> but uh, that then didn't inspire you to start dressing up in the women's clothes. You just started to collect them. Exactly. I mean, I, I, I was finding Gernrichs and Dior's and just felt I, I got to take these. And, and I sent them to my parents. Um, and suddenly they had a living room filled with rolling racks of women's clothing. Wow. And a store was born uh, and a star wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> but you became a star in another way. And certainly in the arena of vintage and vintage couture, you uh, shine so brightly and you've really shed some wonderful light on the whole subject of couture uh, at vintage fashion through the ages. 
you wrote a fantastic book, that beautiful coffee table book called Decades, which is just, you know, it's on my coffee table. So beautiful. Um, so I guess you just learned a lot by osmosis. You threw yourself into the ring. Exactly. Now, in college, I went to UCLA as an actor. So I was a theater major and that required a significant amount of costume design. I was a horrible method actor. Like I was the only person who didn't cry in class. But in costume, I was able to hand sew pretty well. So I was obviously a couturier because mm-hmm. the machine didn't work well for me. But I learned my fabrics and had a wonder, wonderful costume teachers who felt that um, that I had a talent. So at least I learned my fashion. I learned more historic history. Historic history, that's wonderfully redundant. And uh, eventually read and read and read. You also really obviously just had a great natural eye for design and what made great design. This is something that escalated over the years. I suppose the more great design that you were exposed to, more you realize perhaps what was missing in modern day garments. Is that true? Exactly. I mean, I always say that vintage dictates modern trends, but I also like vintage to look modern. So consequently, because of the business, I ended up getting very involved with other uh, fashion houses, consulting and helping them think about uh, what the future of fashion would look like. Even right now, it's been a very interesting period. All of December, I was styling various people in Malibu in elevated versions of Cozy Chic. Usually I would take them to Paris for couture. Suddenly I'm buying them, you know, Barefoot Dreams and Aviator Nation. So um, because I I have the eye to find the best versions of what people want. They may not know they want it, but I can help them curate. So I'm good with sweats and I'm good with sequins. Every great conversation needs a pause. So this is the perfect time to talk to you about our sponsor, TSC, who, without their support, this podcast wouldn't be possible. Now, as you might know, I've covered the catwalks of Paris, Milan, New York, and London. And so you might ask, why have I partnered with a retailer like TSC, today's shopping choice? Well, I believe great fashion should be accessible to everyone. And TSC.ca is home to some amazing designers, wonderful Canadians like Brian Bailey, Kim Newport Mimran of Pink Tartan fame, and Hilary McMillan, as well as quality brands like Lamarck and Ron White Shoes. It's one-stop shopping for everything you need to make your own style statement. And of course, TSC offers so much more than mere fashion. Shop tsc.ca and discover some great brands at some great prices. Would you say there was a, a, a vintage version then of the, the cozy chic that we've been lapping up these days? Well, certainly, you know, in, in the late 90s, it was the Juicy Couture tracksuits. You go a little bit earlier. Um, you get into the original velour track suits, those sort of very 70s track suits. And uh, a lot of what American fashion did uh, in the 20th century was to introduce sportswear in a more casual way of dressing. So everyone, you know, Halston showed uh, silk taffeta track pants in, in the late 70s and early 80s. Or you look at even earlier, Claire McCardle was offering a sportswear, more casual way of dressing. So mm-hmm. Americans did contribute quite a bit. 
to um, this casual luxe way of dressing. Now it's just everybody wants to be an Uggs. But I suppose you could even look at uh, the kaftans that Yves Saint Laurent uh, designed and that uh, Talitha Getty wore in Marrakesh. Yes. I mean, that was a kind of casual chic. I mean, seemingly grand for their their color and uh, the, the vibrancy of them, but really absolutely comfortable. Well, it's that at-home dressing. So, you know, if you're someone who loves fashion, fashion history, why not wear a Thea Porter kaftan? when you're in quarantine. So you can go to the 70s. Uh, every decade certainly had some uh, cozy chic offerings, but now it's mostly fleece. So I try to help people find the best versions. People kind of, um, I think, first became really vintage obsessed around the time that Julia Roberts dared wear that gorgeous black and white Valentino gown to the Oscars, you know, at a time when everyone was spending zillions of dollars on red carpet statements. And, you know, what, what a novel idea to go back into someone's archives and, and pull out an old piece like that. It, it, would you say that was a turning point for uh, vintage lovers and appreciation of vintage? I mean, the fact that she won the Oscar in a used dress uh, <laughs> and, and looked modern and elegant and timeless really changed things. I think you know, Winona Ryder and Demi Moore were wearing vintage or earlier and a lot of fashion people. But I think Julia Roberts was wearing something that wasn't even super old. It was an archival piece from Valentino's uh, collection. So it made people realize, hmm, you can wear vintage and not look like you're in a period film. And uh, that, that is such a cl classic, beautiful look. I find one of the toughest things uh, is finding vintage clothing that really fits. <laughs> because a lot of these wonderful, especially the high-end designer pieces that are floating around, seem to be in super small sizes. I mean, not all of them, but right. I guess a lot of those women who could never be too rich or too thin you know, really strutted that size two stuff that a oh. lot of modern day women can't fit into. I mean, look at someone like Nan Kempner in the past or, um, you know, Lynn Wyatt, who I, I love. I mean, she has kept her figure and can wear all of her clothes from her lifetime of collecting. I think there were a couple of factors. I mean, certainly women were were smaller and I think somewhat malnourished because they weren't eating but also the bodies were less athletic. So you think about, you know, women today, they're exercising and, and doing things to build muscle. That was not a desirable part of your carriage back, back then. It was really about being as small as possible. So now, you know, our rib cages are larger, our shoulders are broader. You, if you're doing Pilates or running all day, you know, it's it's going to affect your mus your muscles, so you become bit bigger. Mm. But but even if you look at uh, runway samples today, they're still like minuscule. Well, the samples for sure, the samples, uh, yes. and just about everything in the Chanel boutique. <laughs> Why yes. do they do that? Why do they do that to us? Okay, so what did, what do you say to women who really have a great affinity for vintage and but just totally get discouraged when a lot of the stuff just doesn't fit? I mean, one of the things I've always tried to do is to procure pieces that are much more universal in sizing. It is challenging. Um, I remember we had a, 
large collection that came from a woman in Orange County who actually bought a hanger like the size of a of a, for to hold an airplane of all of her clothes and she was a courier woman the clothes were like size 10 and 12 and 14 and she had incredible taste and wasn't overly modest so she was confident to wear something sexy those pieces flew out so it's always about finding the original owners who embraced their curves and were progressive in um, body affirmation but there's always accessories. I mean, I'm 6'3". I'm always looking for clothes. Like, you know, the, the guys were tiny. So, I mean, I, I have my challenges. So I always tell people, if it's vintage, designer, and it fits you, buy it. it I couldn't agree with you more if you can afford it, of course. Yes. That minor detail, but yeah, go for yes. it. As long as you don't <laughs> go in debt. Yeah, yeah. What about alterations of uh, vintage clothing? I mean, I, I guess in some ways it's like, oh, sinful. How could you possibly tamper with the work of the masters? However, practically speaking, what do you say? Well, pre-COVID, I always used to say that your um, tailor is more important than your shrink. Now I think your shrink is more important than your tailor because of you know the stress of what we've been through the last year. But I do not have an issue with somebody providing longevity to a garment by doing alterations. I'm not talking about bastardizing a design, not taking a full-length gown and making it into a micro-mini. It's If you can keep the lifeline of a garment and have it tailored for you, so be it. Although, interestingly enough, women originally would buy these very expensive pieces and the houses would often adjust the garment to keep it current as time went went on. I, I remember there was a great collection of a woman who was a massive James Galanos client. And she also had a lot of babies. He made all of her clothes that uh, could have a release and become an, an ampere waist. So when she wasn't pregnant, it fit like a classic A-line dress. Uh, when she was pregnant, it just released and there'd be more room in the belly. So Mm. Mm. designers have thought about modification and and, uh, longevity of their garments okay the way this stuff is coming to us obviously you know there are a few fabulous vintage shops uh, on the planet yours in particular absolutely a famous stellar uh, location and wonderful emporium that's just magical and I've managed to find a, a few things there over the years uh, as Thank well you. but for the most part now it seems so much is going down online you've had a very healthy online business as well like people that mm-hmm. just want access to that great stuff they go online but more and more we're seeing vintage and you know, we say vintage, you know, I don't know if that's with a capital V. Also, you know, the, the resale of garments, like garments that, you know, gently used or, you know, we, we see all used clothes going on sale online. Do you think this is uh, the wave of the future and that we're just that's going to escalate more and more? Um, I, I don't know how you feel about that whole online business. Well, the, the healthiest segment in luxury fashion right now appears to be pre-loved. Um, that is showing the biggest growth. Online has changed the way we consume. However, there has to be a balance between brick and mortar and online. So 
a lot of the largest online only companies have begun opening brick and mortars. I mean, from Amazon to a place like the Real Real, mm-hmm. you cannot replicate a culture purely by a digital representation. And people want authenticity. They want community. And I would say right now they want it even more. So it might be scary to go into a store at this present moment. I think when we get out of this very dark time in our history, we will crave interaction with with individuals and, and the beauty of going into a store even more. I'm actually flying to Aspen this weekend to do something with Giorgio Armani at their store. You know, and you can safely shop in person and it can complement your your online uh, addictions too. Oh, so fabulous. You've always had such a great um, feel for flamboyance and just fabulousness in general. I think back to uh, the days I used to run into you in Paris, you know, yes. at shows. Uh, I'll never yes. forget once we were in the, uh, you know, at the Louvre, you know, in the uh, downstairs where they have the, um, oh, what do they call it? The carousel. The carousel, Louvre, yeah. The carousel where they have the fabulous fashion. And there you were standing there in this magnificent cape. I mean, like, wow, you have <laughs> such an inherently exquisite sense of of style and the potential of uh, theater uh, I, when it comes to style. It's so I, I mean I can't I can't get enough of it. Is that something that just sort of grew as the years went by? And you became more comfortable wearing some of these outrageous pieces. I've always liked fashion as theater, and um, I remember I was once hi Saffron. I was once shopping with. Ali McGraw. I'm not name dropping, but but I am. Oh, and we were do. at we were at the ethnographic show in Santa Fe. And I remember she said, What's your drag? That was such an interesting question. She's like, Do you want to look at Native American? Do you want to do Asian textiles? And we all kind of have a drag of something we want to do. And at a fashion show, I can get a little bit more theatrical and have a little bit more fun because that's the environment where we can do that. Um, In my golden years now, I find myself uh, getting a little bit more minimal again and maybe a little bit less less theatrical. Um, But I said if I ever wrote a memoir about my fashion world, it would be called Costume Changes because we're all just wearing costumes. Absolutely. That's how I got into uh, the whole business of fashion in the first place, thinking of uh, clothes as costume uh, certainly helps us express our characters and who we ultimately are. Yeah, absolutely. When... um, you talk about sustainability, which has become such a, you know, a, a modern, important uh, term and such a major part of the fashion conversation these days. Um, I don't know if that was something you even thought about when you were starting out your business. I mean, I, I have a feeling you were probably just collecting these garments because they were so beautiful and you just loved them and you wanted to give them a second life. What about now? Yes. Well, Originally, sustainability wasn't even a talking point. Now everything is sustainable. Uh, in not, not everything is sustainable, but everybody is trying to have sustainability be a marketing and um, really a code of their house. So the beauty of vintage and pre-loved is that it is purely sustainable. You can buy an organic 
t-shirt from, from a new brand, but it's not 100% sustainable. Uh, shopping at Decade or the other vintage stores, you really are uh, helping the planet in the most profound way. So initially, nobody really cared about uh, sustainability. They just wanted to look sexy and hot and unique. Uh, I think vintage has been a wonderful, uh, or sustainability rather, has been a wonderful byproduct of the movement. Mm-hmm. Is there a, a, an era that, you know, vintage kind of um, stops at? You know, like, I know you talk about pre-loved, of course, and I think of, you know, something from eight seasons ago uh, could be vintage because it's vintage sure. of that particular time. So when we, we, we use the word vintage now, pretty loose, right? It's not like it has to be a certain amount of years old before it is classified officially as vintage. It's very, it's very fluid. Um, I used to get frustrated when I remember once Women's Wear Daily had, uh, you know, just sort of the party pictures and it was a, a socialite in something that said vintage Escada. Like that's not vintage, that's not, not vintage, that's like four years old. So I think a lot of times when somebody is wearing something that is a few seasons old, to say it's vintage has a certain cachet. Now we use a term called archival. So that piece that is just a few seasons old, that is of important uh, fashion contribution, does have a more poignant uh, reflection. So, um, you know, it is fluid with vintage. You can look at something that's you know not very old, and it can actually be considered vintage now, also, especially if a designer has left a house or has passed away. But vintage, I, I used to always think it had to be at least twenty years old. Now, with how the fashion system is, you know, it can be several seasons. Yeah, I definitely love that term. Archival is a lot of gravitas. Uh, that, in that. That's what we want. Whatever will get people more comfortable to have pieces mm-hmm. in their wardrobe have longevity and rotate mm-hmm. uh, for throughout their lifetime is important. I'm completely against disposable fashion and the notion of wearing something once. I think that is so unsophisticated and completely not fashion. Yeah. That, that's you don't have style if you wear something once. You have style if how you take a piece and rework it several times a season. Yes, exactly. And again, as you mentioned earlier, not remake it. Because a lot of people consider this, you know, the whole upcycling things, you know, taking something that's already there and, you know, just really changing it. I mean, that's not a nice thing to do with some of these. Well, I suppose you could do it. There's no right. rules in fashion, but but it's not really the kind of thing that you uh, approve of. I, mean, I, I think upcycling is fine for many garments. Uh, however, for pieces of historic significance or very iconic of, of a brand, I think that's unfortunate. Um, I, but, but the idea of using uh, leftover textiles or something that's you know not, not really important and upcycling it and, and repurposing it, sort of like what the fur industry did mm-hmm. for many, many, you know, and continues to do, that's okay. But don't, don't like up, yeah, don't upcycle something that belongs in a museum. Yeah. When, uh, you know, you see so much uh, of what comes down the runways of the world these days, um, I'm the references just, you know, come fast and furious. I mean, you sometimes think, well, how could anyone possibly reinvent the wheel anyway? And I'm all for, you know, giving credit to great creativity. But I see so much that has been 
borrowed, let's say, or, you know, informed by, you know, days gone by that sometimes it's like, eesh, boring. Like what's really new in fashion, except for maybe technological advancements. I mean, how, what's your take on that? How do you feel about a lot of what you see? Well, I've often felt that we dress more like the Flintstones than, than the Jetsons. And I don't think fashion will change that much until our environment changes, which is like living on the moon. Uh, and, and of course, you know, the, the fashion that's very technical is, is a big uh, game changer. And, and these new fabrics that are being developed, like leather from mushrooms, and, and th- that's interesting, like that, that there are new fabrics being developed. So that, that is very, very modern. I find it very unfortunate uh, fashion designers who appropriate without crediting. And inspiration is a beautiful thing. We all need to be inspired, but we need to uh, pay an homage, not just steal someone else's idea. I know you've said in the past that your favorite decade is the 70s. I don't know, but Mm -hmm. you're still in that 70s groove. Why? Especially my hair now. <laughs> yeah, you look the part. But why the seventies, Cameron? What What is it about that era that uh, it, you love? It's the effortless elegance. Um, a lot of the fashions from the seventies look totally relevant today. I mean, you can take a Halston one shoulder jersey gown and wear it right now without making any modifications. You could take an Anne Klein pantsuit and it looks like. Gabriella Hurst or The Row. Uh, it's just a, it was a great period for American fashion. Uh, of course, it was an incredible time for someone like an Yves Saint Laurent, who was just bringing such luxury to clothes. But but I like that the early 70s are a little countercultural and bohemian. And then by the time you get to the late 70s, it's the disco and the excess that leads us to the dynasty period. So it's just a rich, fun yeah. time. I think everyone can find something to wear from the 70s. Certainly a great era, uh, era of optimism, you know, and that's something that we could all use a whole lot more of. We've seen uh, an incredible yes. re- revival of the 70s, of these past few seasons in fashion. I mean, it was all the 70s were happening all over again. And and all our, our old pieces from the 70s, I, I happily hung on to a couple of mine that, you know, my daughters didn't run off with because they, <laughs> they still wear that stuff, which is so great. Um, what what do you think um, it, about where fashion's going now? I mean, I don't know how much you how much time you spend speculating on you know the look, and I know we've talking about the athleisure thing and the comfort thing. And the, I mean, when we come out of this darkness, are we going to go back into a roaring twenties kind of uh, trip where you just want to get dressed to the nines? If you asked me that question in March or April, I would have said, yes, we're going to go into superstructure and opulence and it will be like a Lacroix moment again or or a Roaring Twenties moment. Because it's been a year of comfort, I think there'll be like a, it's, it'll be like business on the top, comfort on the bottom type of thing. I think, I think a lot of it will depend how we work. If we're continuing to work remotely, which I do not think is healthy for our psyches, will be like me right now in a pair of shorts and a flannel shirt. If we start, when we start interacting more with people, I think there will be such an excitement to dress up. 
And I think evening wear will have a major, major renaissance, and that might be very more, very opulent. A lot of the more casual, comfy brands with whom I've been doing some consulting, I've tried to encourage them to not put all their eggs in this one basket because I don't really want to dress in, in quarantine drag when it's over. But I have learned that I, you know, I like a, I like a track pant. I like, I like a hoodie, but I want to be able to do it a little bit more polished. So I think that's going to be the challenging thing for the brands that have really done great, how they morph into a longer, um, not longer, but morph into a more relevant way of dressing when we want to have a little more structure and formality. Mm -hmm. And for those brands that really uh, are rooted in luxury and opulence, how they can still have pieces that are going to work with track pants. I mean, I always say everyone has to design everything to wear with jeans. Now you have to design everything to wear with sweats and Uggs. Uh, accessories too. I mean, incredibly important uh, department that I know uh, mm -hmm. you certainly love and vintage accessories, especially because they are objets meant to last forever and should should last uh, a it's, lifetime. It's, it's been a great jewelry moment. Uh, all my friends who are fine jewelers, some of them had their best years in 2020. Auctions have done very well with, with high jewelry. Uh, part of that probably has to be the fact that the wealthy have a lot of disposable income right now because they're not spending on travel the same way or eating the same way or buying uh, the same amount of clothes. So acquiring uh, important pieces of jewelry, hey, you can wear a pair of earrings or or a necklace when you're having a Zoom party. <laughs> so. So that's, I think, one of the reasons why it's been very strong. God, I could talk to you forever, but um, our time is running out. And um, we have asked uh, some listeners if they had burning questions that they wanted to ask you, Cameron. And, I uh, want to burn. Burn me. <laughs> burn, baby, burn. Okay. Um, Natasha Roberts wants to know, what is the most iconic vintage piece that you have uh, ever come across? I, 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 that's, a, that's sort of a tough one. I have a good one. I have a good answer. Um, I was in the entry closet of a recently deceased woman of, of Parisian descent who lived in Beverly Hills. And her son was taking me through the house and hanging on a wire hanger was an Yves Saint Laurent for Christian Dior alligator and mink motorcycle jacket, of which a handful were made. Wow. And I turned to the son and said, <gasps> you will probably be able to put your child through college now. Now, not <laughs> an Ivy League, but, you know, a good school. <laughs> that jacket is now in the collection of the museum uh, at, at the Metropolitan Museum of Art and was just featured in their About Time exhibition. Wow. What a buried treasure. That must mm -hmm. have been a moment for you discovering something like that. Eureka. Oh, it was that. it was pretty exciting. So fabulous. Okay, another question uh, from Natasha. Um, have there uh, been multiple clients of yours who ever really clamored for the same piece? And and how have you dealt with that? Was there ever people just sort of begging for one particular piece? I mean, sometimes when you get a real hero piece, there will be several parties interested. I mean, you're talking about museums are interested, private collectors are interested, um, just fashion people are interested. 
So I'm very much like Switzerland and I do not like conflict. And uh, I sort of, I'm respectful of everyone's desire. So it's kind of first come first serve, should I say? And um, I just, you know, people can get disappointed sometimes when that hero piece is, they miss the hero piece. So I let everybody know it's there. And the first one who, whose credit card doesn't decline is the proud owner. <laughs> okay, and, and now here's just one for me. So for people who are novices in the uh, vintage realm and they really want to go out perhaps and buy their first bona fide vintage piece, what would you tell them to keep in mind when they go out there to scour what's available? I have very simple rules. When you look at something vintage, ask yourself, does this look modern? Unless you're buying something for a Halloween party, you don't want to dress um, like you're an extra in you know, a, a film, like a medieval film. So ask yourself if it's, if it's modern. Evaluate the condition. So make sure it's in a condition that is wearable or requires very simple modification. And try it on. Do you know? Does it look good? Does it make you feel good? So it, it's and don't over intellectualize things. That's the main thing. And you know, if it's a jacket, can you wear it with a pair of jeans? How relevant is it in your wardrobe? And and have fun. Your first piece, I always say, step outside your comfort zone. Here, here. Amen to that, Cameron. Thank you so much. You're absolutely delightful. Um, I adore you and and everything that uh, you've brought to this modern world of fashion. You've really made us see things in a wonderful uh, new light for many years now. So keep up the great work. Thank you. Love hanging out with you. Thanks for listening. To see video versions of the podcasts, check out tse.ca slash style matters. You can watch Style Matters Thursday on TSC or on the tse.ca website. New episodes of Beyond Style Matters will be coming at you every Monday. Till next time, I'm Jeannie Becker.